Welcome to the American Landman Podcast, where we discuss buying, managing, and selling American land. Join us as we listen to real people who buy real land for the enjoyment of owning land and as a vehicle to financial freedom. And now, your host, the original American Landman, Neil Hogger. And welcome back to this week's episode of the American Landman. I'm your host, Neil Hogger, land specialist for Whitetail Properties Real Estate in Western Wisconsin. And this is the American Landman podcast where we talk about buying, managing, and selling American land. Well, this week's guest is a United States Marine. His name is Ryan Stark, and he owns Stark Lavender Farms. And I found Ryan, I think, by searching the internet. And I actually saw a video of him where he was being interviewed by a guy that does hives for bees, and he has a bee honey. And he started talking about uh, how the lavender d- draws in the bees. But really, what drew me to, to Ryan was he was an ex-Marine, and I was a a corpsman that served with the Marines. And I just thought, wow, this is an interesting guy. Uh, so that connection just kind of intrigued me. And the more I looked into him, the more the idea of growing lavender on my farm uh, was interesting to me because I'm always looking for ways to make money from the land and just have it pay for itself at a minimum. But hey, if I could have a profit, then it can add to my generational wealth and help support my family and frankly, help support my addiction to land management and hunting. And why not? And I started looking into lavender and I'd been looking at lavender for a number. Actually, I've been looking for different products for a number of years And I want everything from uh, maybe I'll grow pumpkins to maybe I'll grow um, Christmas trees and maybe I'll have like a a nursery where I grow ornamental bushes or whatever. I just looked at a lot of different ways where I could take a little bit of my land and commit it to something that actually I can run as a business. And there's just a lot of benefits to that. And well, over the course of a couple of years, I just, I've landed on lavender. And so I started looking into it and that's when I found Ryan and I'm going to bring him on. And this is going to be a really interesting conversation because I'm sure you guys have never even given this a thought. And it, honestly, it sounds kind of feminine to grow lavender. You know, it smells good and it looks good. They use it for perfumes. But honestly, as you're going to hear on this conversation, there's just a lot of benefits from this herb. And if you have health benefits or sleep issues, uh, health issues, sleep issues, or if you want it for culinary cooking, um, even just an acre of land, as you're going to hear, it, you could produce a, quite a bit of income from it. So I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. We're going to combine it with a little bit of land management, a little bit of hunting. This has everything. It's a really good conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. But before we do, let's take a moment out for our sponsors. I hope you guys are supporting them. They're good people. They have great products. We'll get a little word from them, and then we'll get right back to the show. I'm Neil Hogger, and I'm a land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate, and this is the American Landman Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Vitalize Seed. Cycle nutrients the way nature intended. The Packer Max HD Culta Packer Crimper. 100% of your seed goes down, 100% of your seed comes up. Landgate, data, intelligence, and marketplace for land and its resources. First Products Grain Drills, maker of the multi-drill. Quality, precision, durability. And lastly, acres.com. Explore and value land with confidence. And now, back to the show. And welcome to the show, Ryan Stark. Hey, Neil. Thanks for having me on here. Hey, buddy. Thanks for coming on. Uh, as usual, the crowd here goes crazy at the American Landman Studios, so they, they're going to like this topic here. And um, this is something I haven't heard anybody talk about and try to combine it with uh, real estate and hunting and land management and farming and making money from your land. So this is going to be an interesting topic, I think. Oh, sure. Sure. I can't wait to dive into it. All right. Well, let's start with uh, people have no idea who you are, but uh, um, I'm going to let you talk about yourself just for a couple of minutes. But Ryan Stark is from Stark Lavender Farm, and he's in Illinois in the Champaign area. Is that pretty right? Yeah, I'm about about 35 minutes southeast of Champaign. All right. He's also a hunter and he's a farmer. He's an ex-Marine. And uh, this is going to be a neat topic. So, Ryan, just take a minute or so and tell us, kind of introduce yourself. Uh, well, I'm 46 years old. Uh, basically, I'm from a small town, Oakland, Illinois. There's only about a thousand people here. So it's kind of Mayberry, quiet around here, farming community, hunting all around this area. Uh, well, I graduated in 95 high school 
and took off, went to college like everybody else did. And then 9-11 happened. Uh, everybody can remember that. Uh, I ended up signing off to the Marine Corps and left, went to Iraq as a 1371 combat engineer and uh, come back home and, you know, try to get back to normal life after a few years. And, you know, there's ups and downs. And then uh, somehow made my way back back to Oakland, actually, in a small town of all places after traveling all over the world. <laughs> And, uh, ended up getting married and, uh, had four kids and, um, we were, I was looking for some hunting ground to buy and I ended up finding some outside of town here and I bought that and well, the hunting ground, me and my wife were talking and ended up uh, building a house out here and I went back to college again and get a degree in horticulture. And while doing that, I started studying lavender a lot because I was having, uh, Sleeping issues, insomnia, and stuff like that, some anxiety, and I started realizing the therapeutic aspects of uh, lavender, and uh, we decided to start a lavender farm out here on my hunting ground, put the house there, so I was like, well, I've kind of had a blend making an income, you know, from the lavender out here, along with still trying to keep my hunting ground out here as well, too, um, and it's... Yeah. We've been on it, what, uh, about two years now, and it's just kind of taken off all over the place. We've had a lot of publicity, a lot of good feedback, making our products uh, from the lavender oil or selling the lavender oil as, as is, uh, and it's expanding. And now we're adding on some other uh, specialty crops like blueberries and blackberries, uh, some fruit trees. Um, so. Wow. That's a quick rundown. Yeah. I mean, I could I could go to a lot of different areas with that, but yeah, <laughs> so just yeah, off the top. Oh, you give me a lot of a lot of ammunition. No pun intended, but uh, <laughs> yeah. well, you know, I don't know if the if the listeners know this, but um, I also served with the Marines, and I told Ryan that, and that's kind of how we, I don't know, kind of sparked our relationship, so to say. We never met, but we text and talk right. a fair amount. But I was a combat uh, corpsman. And I too was in during 9-11, but my experience was obviously a lot different than yours. I can remember the day that um, the towers got struck and I was sitting, heading to a pharmaceutical regional meeting and I was having coffee in the morning. I don't know, it seemed like it was about eight o'clock in the morning, something I think when I turned on TV and the first tower was burning and then the second tower got struck. And I wasn't, when I watched it, I wasn't sure if I was seeing a replay or, but it was live and I had. I had called my manager because we had people flying in from all over the Midwest region from Nebraska, Chicago. We're all flying mm -hmm. to Brainerd, Minnesota. And I called him up and because they were talking about, you know, ground and airliners and stuff. And oh, yeah. So I called Steve up and I said, hey, man, are you watching the news here? And he's like, what? You got to go turn on the TV. And so he turns it on. He's like, what the hell's happened? I'm like, well, they're saying that a plane flew into the Tower One. And, uh, he was watching it with me and then the other one, wham, and it hit everybody's seen those videos. He was like, Oh, check that out. I go, dude, that was live. That, that had just happened. And I went outside. I remember, you know, very eerie calm outside and there were no planes oh, yeah. in the air. And, and then they scrambled, um, some jets. I, I think they came out of, um, Duluth. There's a air wing in Duluth and, then these jets went flying over and they were circling the cities and stuff. And so that, I remember that, but you got, so you, that inspired you and then you were actually enlisted at, because of that. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. I was actually just finishing up college. And at the same time I was working a state job at a state prison and I was working, I remember I was working a second shift and I was just like sitting in bed watching TV when nine 11 happened. I seen that first plane hit and I was like, well, that's kind of crazy. I'm like, I wonder what's going on. And it was all over the news. And, you know, shortly after that second plane hit, and I'm like, well, that's no accident, you know? And I always say it's like the day the earth stood still, because it's like, like you said, it was quiet. <laughs> Everything shut down and nobody knew what to do or what was going on. Yeah. And so, yeah, I went into, uh, at the prison, there was a couple former Marines I talked to and they're like, yeah, go do this and this. So, uh, I, you know, a few months went by picking it in my brain, trying to figure out what we're doing. And, um, I remember I was like, well, these people came in and did this. So it's like, we need to go kick somebody's door in, you know, so there's going to be a fight, you know, <laughs> and, was, and there's a lot of patriotism. I remember there were flags flying everywhere. There was so much patriotism in this country. Not like it's kind of died down, not like what it was, you know, but before it was like everybody was in solidarity, not like everybody wanted to, oh, 
you know, right now there's a lot of politics dividing the country, but then it was like everybody was on the same page. Like, yeah, this can't happen. We can't allow this to go on. And, uh, it was, uh, it, it was a good thing to rally behind your country. Like yeah. That, so. You got it. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, no. I, I, I just asked what it and enlisted a few months later. And then by the time you went through MEPS and the processing, you know, it was like 2002, I took off to boot camp and good old San Diego MCRD. So. Yep. I went down there as well. You bet. <laughs> they used to tell us, uh, to the, us Navy boys, you know, in our, in our, uh, ice cream suits on the other side of the fence. Hey, don't go over there. Those guys eat you alive. <laughs> yeah, we used to see, we used to see you Marines over there. Personally, I was intrigued by it. I was like, man, I, I think I signed up for the wrong crew here. And but luckily as a corpsman, I found out later that a lot, you know, corpsmen go with the Marines and, and, Right. And when we graduated from boot camp, they, we all had our A schools and, um, uh, I went to core school in San Diego to become, you know, basically a medic for people that know what that is. But, um, mm-hmm. but then after that, they would assign you to various places. And it just, it was like this class of guys, maybe a hundred of them would go to the Marines. And then this class would go to the hospitals. This class would go to the fleet. And, I just happened to get assigned to a hospital, so I never went. So believe it or not, while you were running around the desert, you know, killing people or shooting people or blowing them up, <laughs> I, I was delivering babies. I, I was in the labor <laughs> delivery. Yeah, believe it or not, isn't that crazy? But um, that is that is something. But that would have been a cool job, though. Well, if you don't mind looking at uh, boobs and you know something else all day long, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it's kind of crazy. The look on the women's hey, we, face when I'd come in and say, hi, I'm uh, HM Hogger and I'm going to teach you how to breastfeed. <laughs> uh, That's an interesting conversation. Yeah, it was. That, I, I remember you're going to, what? And I said, well, ma'am, I said, uh, this is your first baby. Yes. She says, yes, sir. And I said, well, you know, I actually have helped deliver probably a thousand in the last year and a half. So I think I got yeah. this. And frankly, the baby kind of knows what to do. So, you know, we'll get through, we'll get through this just fine. But that was funny. But so you went over to, to the desert and I don't you don't need to get into it too much. But were you in yeah, like, combat uh, situations? Yeah, we went over in uh, mid uh, 2004 and uh, we flew in. That was about the time that uh, the IEDs, roadside bombs were getting real bad. Yeah. A lot of insurgents. It was yeah, there, it, was, it was a mess over there. And we didn't actually have all the gear that we should have had that we have now all the up-armored vehicles i mean they had us throwing sandbags in the floorboards of our humvees you know back then and i mean now they have like vehicles like the buffaloes and have some other names for them where they find like uh mines or ieds and they grab them with a bucket to let them detonate inside of there i remember when we went over there there was like only three vehicles in the entire country that did that and they were part of uh, Army National Guard, I think, had them, I believe, too. And they were engineers, and they had the equipment. And we were engineers, and I ran into these guys. And I'm like, man, those are cool vehicles. What, what, you know, what, what's your MOS? And they're like, oh, we're engineers. I'm like, oh, okay. And they gave you this kind of equipment? I said, that's crazy. <laughs> and, then, and they told us, what you know, like, yeah, we go out and find these bombs and stuff. I'm like, oh, that's cool. And I'm like, well, what do you guys do? And I'm like, well, we're engineers with the Marine Corps. And they're like, well, where's your guys' vehicle? And I'm like... I pulled out our probe, which is basically just a plastic stick. I'm like, this is what they give us. We got to poke around the dirt and try to find the mine wow. where the bombs would be. Their eyes got real big. You're like, are you serious? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't any different for us with as a corpsman. Um, uh-huh. I, you know, I'm, I'm here to, you know, if I go to, to battle, I'm going to, I have to patch you guys up. And I had this little pack that if you hold, is about the size of a bread, like a bread uh, loaf, a little bit smaller than actually probably half the size. Mm-hmm. And in that, I had a couple tourniquets and I had bandages, pressure bandages. And as I was at the time, I was a pharmaceutical sales rep. So I, when I was going to go for training, I would go around to all my hospitals or clinics and I just asked the doctors, do you mind if I grab some sample stuff? Because pharmaceutical reps would provide that. So I'd, right. I'd do a little, you know, training, pre-mission training on, you know, where we were going to be and what kind of indigenous species of bugs or plants or anything that might bite you, sting you, kill you, whatever, right. you know, what am I going to run into? And I just beg, borrow and steal whatever I could that I thought I would need. And even like IV solutions and stuff. I mean, I could only carry so much, but I'd grab as many as I could. And then when we would go and, uh, and just as a total disclaimer, because I don't want any stolen valor here. I never did mm-hmm. shit during the whole time. I mean, I trained yeah. and that was it. I never got sent over to the, to the, to the desert, but, um, but you know, we practice and we train cause during the time, actually, I didn't even really know anything was going on, believe it or not. When you're a young guy, you don't, you don't really know what's happening. You just, right. Wait, where do, what time do we eat? What time do we sleep? Where do we go? Right. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. But I would beg, borrow, and steal all the stuff I had. And looking back, I thought, God, man, I didn't have squat to do my job. I mean, I'm probably lucky no. that nothing really ever happened. I, I saved one Marine's life um, on a ship by doing, mm-hmm. I think I just come out of graduate school and I was advanced cardiac life support. And this kid coded and me and another uh, corpsman stripped him down, cut his clothes off, stuck IVs in him, started doing CPR right in front of all the Marines. And they're all standing mm-hmm. around. And I was in my Amtrak. Uh, I think that's what they're called, like a Bradley fighting vehicle, basically. Right. And I'm inside mm-hmm. there in the ship. We just loaded on and I heard, we could hear yelling and stuff. And then and it was getting, I could hear it yelling. And, and the guy that was up, man, in the, there was a gun turret up there, I guess I recall. Um, right. He's like, he yells down, Hey doc, they're, they're calling for you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, I start climbing out and I see him lifting this Marine, like out of one of those tracked units. And he was like, he was just like a limp dish rag. I mean, he was just like, you know, and I run up there and I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, I don't know, man, he just passed out and, and he's not responsive. And I got down there. He had a real thready heart rate and um, a heartbeat. And I think, I think what he, he just, I don't know what exactly happened. I think he was really dehydrated and then he, he just coded because he didn't like, right. he, later on, he told me, I didn't like drinking the iodine water that you Corman got for us, you know? So, so me and this corpsman, this other guy, Sean Perry, is a good friend of mine. Um, if you ever listen to this, you'll remember this. We went to town on this dude. My flight surgeon, um, Commander Bohan, was standing over us. He was a, um anesthesiologist, MD, and a civilian mm-hmm. life. And I looked up at him. I go, you want to take over, Doc? And he's like, no, you guys got to keep going. You know, But we brought, we brought that kid back. And I had, I had heard from people that when you do something for the Marines, when they finally realize that you're the, their, their doc and you could take care of them, you're, you are like an angel to them. I mean, you're like a God. I mean, they will protect you with literally protect you with their lives. And oh, of I, course we love our docs. Oh, I experienced that. Called call him devil doc. Yeah. I got a tattoo. We, we love doc. I got a tattoo that says devil doc on my arm. Yeah. Oh yeah. We didn't go anywhere without, you know, our doc, you know, and like I said, anybody mess with doc, they're going to get pounded. So yeah, that is exactly <laughs> what it was like. I mean, we, we were in, uh, we were in Camp Pendleton when we did this. And then when we went out that evening or that one, the first time we got kind of like a little Liberty and dude, I couldn't buy a beer. I mean, they, they gave me a medal, you know, for doing right. that. And I'm like, okay, I, 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 that's what I was trained to do. And I, but I don't know. It was crazy. I remember our commander, I won't go into this too deep, but, um, our, uh, major, major Mullins was this really, mm-hmm. he was a real badass. He later went and worked with the uh, president. I guess they have like a entourage of different services that kind of carry the football, you know, they chain it to their wrist. Right. I guess he went on to do that, but I remember sitting on a patrol practice again, you know, we're practicing and, and, uh, I'm putting on my war paint, you know, I'm putting on my face paint and taking it real serious. And frankly, I was just like, I just kind of want to look like Rambo cause I'm with the fucking Marines. You know? <laughs> and, uh, I looked up over my little mirror, my compact here with my grease paint. I looked up and major Mullins was standing there looking at me and I was like, in a split second, I thought, Oh God, he's going to give me crap. Cause I'm trying to look like Rambo. You know, I have tiger stripe, <laughs> but he looked at me, just gave me that little nod that dudes do like, thanks doc. Like, yeah, I got, well, I got a good one. Yeah. We, we, we had docs everywhere, but there were so many people who were getting maimed and wounded all the time over there. And not all of it was like combat. Some mines are just a lot of accidents even happened. So, I mean, docs were precious to us. I mean, uh, we had some guys get hit by uh, some suicide bombers and stuff like that, and they're in bad shape. And um, seen a lot of crazy stuff. And there's a lot of heroes running around, a lot of unsung heroes. Yeah, you don't hear stories about. There was uh, one guy, Pete Carey. Uh, he was in my platoon. Great guy. And his vehicle, they got hit in a seven-ton by a suicide bomber. And there were seven guys on the truck, and the truck was full of ammo. And it. <sighs> Suicide bomber had uh, gasoline filled up canisters all in his truck when it hit. So everything was on fire and everybody dove off. Well, one of our guys, God, God bless his soul, uh, Ty Ziegel, was on there. And the explosion, it actually, he couldn't get off the truck because it actually had uh, burned him so bad he couldn't see to get out. And Pete, one of the guys who uh, dove off the truck, seeing that, and the ammo was cooking off on the seven tons, so the bullets flying out. Jeez. Well, Pete, who had already been burnt, Turn around, climb back up into the seven ton to drag our buddy back out out of those flames while those bullets were rolling off inside that truck. And, uh, 
I remember I seen Pete, because I watched the explosion happen, and choppers came and flew his eagle out of there and stuff, and uh, he had to be shipped to Germany, and he actually uh, survived. He's passed away since then, but uh, he survived, and I seen Pete. Pete had these blisters on his hands the size of softballs, just from where he got burned so bad, stuff like that. But I, I always tell the stories about people who, you know, you never hear about, but all these little uh, heroic moments like that. of like, so this guy is a... Uh, the cojones to go back into that and drag his brother out, you know. What, so. you know, I won't get into this anymore, but man, first off, uh-huh. thanks for your service, buddy. I mean, Jesus Christ. Oh, thank you for your service. <laughs> That's just unbelievable. But what, what motivates some people to literally run towards stuff like that? I mean, you can't teach that. We're not trained. No. I, don't, I, don't, I don't remember <laughs> any training as a corpsman going, all right, when shit's blowing up and guys are cooking and you need, you're going to run into that and pull them out. I mean, yeah. it, right. It's just, you know, it's, you know, some, I think, you know, there's a couple of things too. I think some men are just forged differently. And then others, you know, the other big part is uh love for your uh, fellow brothers. You know, they are, right. you know, they live and die for each other. So that is true. You see one go down that, you know, they either all go down or. Right. Yeah. They're going to help each other. So, well, that's a unbelievable story and, and thanks for your service. But so from that, you obviously who wouldn't have a little PTSD because your, your nervous system's on fire and it's either, you know, yeah. you're, you're bored yeah. stiff or you're, you know, you're running around with your hair on fire, literally, <laughs> you know? So the PTSD. You know, that's the crazy thing is like, I always tell people, I was like, there was so much boredom at times, you know, they, they watch these war movies and things just like crazy all the time. It's not really, most times like it. it's like you'd have sometimes days or hours or whatever of complete boredom. And all of a sudden it'd just be craziness for like 30 seconds and then back to boredom. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, it was so random and unexpected to just depending on the situation. Like, you know, again, I never, all I did was train and then I actually got discharged before I got sent. And then my unit got sent over there and, and I was sitting back here on my ass and, you know, I had some guilt related to that, but yeah, I mean, there, there was times we're out in the desert and you're, you're doing whatever you're doing. And then there'd be like these long periods of time. It's like, what the hell are we doing? And we're, uh-huh. we're laying under a poncho under a, wherever we get some shade and you're laying there for hours. Just like, okay, am I supposed to be doing something? Does anybody know what we're doing here? <laughs> anybody at all, you know, <laughs> hurry up and wait. As they always yeah. say, hurry up and wait. And then all of a sudden like a helicopter would, uh, would, um, come in and, and, just start shooting off missiles over our head and like, Oh, I guess we're still, you know, doing something here, you know? So yeah. Amazing. But all right. So let's, let's move on from that. Cause uh, I don't want you to bring these things up in your mind. It's you're putting them behind, but the, but the PTSD stuff and lavender, there's definitely a connection. So let's start. How did you get into this lavender idea? And you're a farmer and and tell us about that. Well, uh, there's a lot of, uh, aspects to it. One, my wife, lavender was always her favorite flower. And when we lived in town, I had planted some on our backside of our hill uh, for her to enjoy. But at the same time, when I went back uh, to college for my horticulture degree, uh, like I said I studied the lavender and started looking at the therapeutic sides to it. Because as everybody knows, you you know, you go to the VA, you go to the hospital, you know, when people have issues like insomnia, anxiety, stuff like that. It's like, here's a, you know, they just want to throw pills at the problem. And I'm like, there's got to be a more natural, because <laughs> it can't be good taking pills all the time. So there's got to be a more natural route to dealing with this stuff. And then I've seen through lavender, uh, some of the aspects of it. And like a, we've discussed before, I uh, heard a lot of people saying, well, that doesn't work. You know, I've tried it, it doesn't work. Well, 80, 85% of the commercial market of lavender, whether it's soaps or shampoos or even just pure oils, uh, Big companies use hybrid oils, and like we've we've talked about it, uh, hybrid lavender doesn't have the therapeutics uh, that English lavender does. Smells great, you know, uh, and, you know, hybrids look beautiful, but it doesn't have that relaxing uh, property to it. So then I didn't. I started thinking, like, well, if I didn't know that, I'm sure a lot of other people don't know that as well, too. So uh, dig into it more, and I'm like, well, there might be a market for all this stuff. Um, then I started looking overseas and... France is the biggest uh, producer of lavender. Um, Twice in the last five years, they've lost like 87% of their crops uh, due to climate change. So there's been this shift. It's out northwest of the United States, like Washington and Oregon right now. Uh, Big production and uh, lavender going on out there. And it's kind of moving across the states here. And you start looking up, you know, there's so many things that you can do with that. Uh, Like I said, you can put the oils back into the products. 
Uh, like I said, you can sell the oils by themselves. You can sell bundles of flowers. There's so many uses for it. Like I said, we use it for uh, teas for inflammation in the stomach or, you know, drinking the tea also relaxes you. The pure oils you can put on your wrist, your forehead for migraines, for sleeping. Uh, you put in soap, shampoos. We have a company in Wisconsin that uh, makes fudge out of it because it's, the lavender we use is also food grade. Um, so you can, you can use it in so many aspects. So I was like, we can actually do something with this. So, yeah. Wow. Well, I got to tell you from my own experience, because I have a medical background of 30 plus years and and um, I started looking around for me. I was trying to find some way to pay for my land. And uh-huh. my wife's not 100% on board with me owning land. I mean, just this morning, she brought up again, you know, well, when are you going to sell the farm, you know? And I'm like, why do I want mm-hmm. I don't want to sell the farm. You know, she's, I know you don't want to sell it, but you say you want to retire. And I'm like, well, when I'm kind of taking the route is I, I'd like to buy more land, number one, but, you know, I'll work with the oh, land yeah. I got. And, and I, I want to try to find a business or a way to make money from my land. And I've talked about this on past episodes where I do a Verbo. I rent my, um, I have a pole barn building, I guess a barn dominium. Uh, and I rent it to people that want to just come up and, and stay. And, and it, it does pretty well. And I, although I had some oh, guys yes. run a truck through my wall, that's another whole story, but attempted, <laughs> attempted murder, cocaine and hookers and a truck going through the wall of my barn. Yeah. That's, that's, that's another episode, but front page news. Yeah. 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 It was, but, um, I, I've been looking around for all these ways to make money from my farm, but it's a hunting farm. I mean, I want to hunt it, right. you know, and, and, and then you're a hunter. And so this, uh-huh. co- this connection between us with the Marine Corps, the farm to hunt, uh, the love of hunting, and then to make money. I went through a lot of crops. I was looking at, I was looking at Christmas trees, um, mm-hmm. But, you know, the, to get a Christmas tree growing and there's quite a need for it and you can make a, quite a bit of money doing it. It takes like eight years to get a tree. So I was like, OK, that's too long. But lavender yep. only takes like like I planted eight lavender plants last year just to see if it would grow, if I could get it to grow. And they produced two bundles. So I was like all proud of myself. I made two bundles of dried flowers <laughs> and I got a jar, about a quart jar or less, I guess of buds. And I just, I put up, this sounds really kind of, uh, feminine, but I put a bow on it and it sits right in front of me right now. I'm like, okay, proof of concept. I planted, I harvested and I created a product that would, that little (laughs) jar might be worth 25 bucks, you know, or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, well, some people, you know, that's a, you know, I don't have the biggest piece of land, you know, I've got some acres here, but yeah. How many acres are you dedicating? Uh, right now it's about 12 acres. Uh, is a farm right now. There's about five and a half acres of just lavenders, over 5,000 lavender plants, nine different varieties out there right now. Um, but I'm going to, I got to put another acre and a half this year, just slowly putting more and more in as we fill this out. But like I said, there's other specialty crops we're starting to work with as well too. But you know, when I first bought this, I was like to compete, if you're not born into the farming industry to compete, you know, some of these guys have thousands of acres to farm. I'm like, okay, well I can never make that amount of money on this land that I have here. So I started looking at the specialty crops and you know, when I was at school, like the lavender stuff, but there are so many different specialty crops and the USDA even has a giant list of those as well. But of how much more money you can make on a small piece of land, you can make just as much as a big piece of land with a specialty crop. Granted, you know, there's, you know, that's, you have to figure out how you're going to do it and set up your business plan with specialty crops because there's not a lot of other people doing it. Uh, but you can anywhere, make anywhere from a few thousand to $50,000 an acre on a specialty crop, depending on which crop you choose. So I'm like, okay, well, maybe we can do something then. And the way I've set up my farm, which you've seen pictures of it, uh, the whole outer edge of the farm has switchgrass and giant miscanthus that builds basically a wall. And then there are strips of switchgrass on the interior. But one, it's setting up habitat because the rabbits, the pheasants, quail, they all bury themselves in there. And along with the deer, they bed in it as well, too. But I'm also creating a microclimate walking out the wind uh, from the winter winds hitting the field on the crops as well, too. And then in between my rows, it's, I know people are going to argue with me about how I set up my fields. Everybody in the lavender industry has a different opinion. So don't take mine to part of It's the only way to do it. But everybody has a different way. Sometimes people argue about it, which is a better way. But I planted uh, my lavender crops are in landscape fabric to keep the weeds growing from uh, around the plant. But in between the rows, uh, I've got clover planted. So I've probably got about 
another five acres of clover planted as well too because uh, we have bees out here as well too so the clover feeds the bees and the clover puts nitrogen back in the ground fertilizer but at the same time what well, i like to eat clover well all the wildlife you know so the deer every night i'll watch a herd of deer walk out into my lavender field and eat the clover they don't touch the lavender because they don't like the taste of lavender it's too strong but there's my hunting so i have the best of both worlds i've got crops and i'm hunting so are you ready to make a purchase and become the next american landman or perhaps if you have a track of land that you're ready to sell just want to be sure you're working with the most qualified land specialist agent you can find. Well, it all begins with finding the right agent, a land specialist agent. Whitetail Properties Real Estate is the leading land sales broker in the nation. Our mission is simple. We exist to connect the buyer and sellers of American land. Our land specialists are specifically trained to sell land, be it farms and ranches, timber, mineral, or recreational tracts. And we have agents in almost every state of the union waiting to serve you. If you're ready, give me a call, send me a text or an email. I'll ask you a few basic questions and then connect you with my network of the nation's best landmen and land women. We have land specialists in almost every state of the union coast to coast. Get in touch with me. I'm Neil Hogger. I'm a land specialist with Whitetail Properties Real Estate, and I want to be your guy in the land business. Yeah, man, that's brilliant. I'm picturing this beautiful pollinator fields with 180 inch class bucks <laughs> walking through. Your- <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because uh, a Navy buddy of mine, he was having a hard time this year with family and just, you know, life in general. And he hadn't killed a deer in two years. And I was actually putting on my hunting gear to go out to my hangar stand. And uh, he was texting me and I was like, you know what, man? I was like, get your stuff on, come out here. I'll, I'll put you up in one of my stands. And, uh, he's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, I'll hook you up. I said, I know you'll see something. I don't know if you'll get a shot, but we always see something. And he's like, okay, great. So he comes out here and I walk him out. I said, this is the stand here. I said, you know, let me know. He's like, don't be mad at me. If I shoot a big buck, I said, I don't care what you shoot, man. I said, you shoot whatever makes you happy, you know? And I went back in the house. I went even back in the house an hour. He texted me this. I just shot this big buck. He texted me. I'm like, no. I was like, yeah, you're, yeah, you're lying. Whatever. Right. He's like, no, I'm serious. I'm like, oh my. So we waited about, you know, half hour, and I came down there, and we did a blood trail. And he, that deer ran about 75 yards. This guy shoots 160 inch, you know, 10 point Get buck down there. I'm like. <laughs> I was like, really? I was going to sit there today. Funny. <laughs> and I was like, but I was happy for him, man. He's all teary-eyed. He's like, this made my year. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's good on you. I helped him drag it out of there, you know. And, uh, but uh, That's the best story. <laughs> that is awesome. Because, you know, this yeah. whole idea, like, so, you know, when you, when you get a crazy idea about uh-huh. doing something different, I mean, it's corn and beans everywhere we're at. And I'm sure it's the same right. here, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I'm always thinking, I just, ha- my brain doesn't stop. And I'm like, I've actually been criticized on this podcast for, by followers that like, you know, land shouldn't be about making money. And, and, uh, you know, you, t- all you do is think yeah. about making money. And I'm like, I don't actually, but uh-huh. if I can do something good for the soil, if I can create pollinator habitat, if I could put borders up that rabbitat, you know, pheasants and rabbits and, uh-huh. and I can create something that the deer are still going to use this two and a half acres or three acres that I'm going to commit to, cause there's going to be clover there and I can make yeah. some money. Why wouldn't I? I mean, that's how I look at it. It's like, what, what's wrong with that? I don't see a problem with that, but man, I tell you what, dude, the number of people that I, I start telling people about this and I'm actually in the process of writing a uh, business plan. I found this uh, organization. I don't know if they're only for veterans, but it's called SCORE, S-C-O-R-E. I don't know if that stands uh-huh. for, but um, I, I got a mentor now and he's got a, he's a horticultural background, uh, farming background. Okay. And, um, but I actually started writing a business plan about this, actually create this business. And you had mentioned something that, you know, there's a range of, of uh, income that you can make on a small field. Right. And, and I've read yep. somewhere, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read somewhere like anywhere from like 8,000 an acre income. And I don't know if that's net or gross, but let's just say it's gross. 8,000 gross per acre to 60,000 gross per acre with these specialty crops and lavender. I mean, yep. right. So go into that a little yeah. bit, because I, I guarantee it by right now, because we made that connection between what? All right. This guy's shooting 160s off his land and he's making money. <laughs> Man, <laughs> yes. Go into that a little yes. bit. I mean, it's, it, it, it's kind of the best of both worlds. And I always said, they said, see around me, there's 
Oh, there's the farm ground on me is corn and beans, but it's owned by like commercial companies. So it's a couple thousand acres around me. They're just owned by commercial. So they don't care about habitats or anything. And I always said, like, if I owned a ton of land, I would always give a percentage back. I would turn it back to habitat. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just because of wildlife. But it, oh, let me like my train of thought there. I got to start getting up on tangents. Um, so, yeah, you'd have to get percentage back because it's nice having that wildlife around you and having the natural aspect, especially when you do the agro-tourism side to your field. You know, people just don't want to come out and just see just uh, those crops in the field. They see the natural grasses, the trees blooming, they see the wildlife. It, it, you know, it's a very relaxing feeling for people to come out and see. Um, now, with the income, it it's all about... You know, you get out what you put into it, I think. So it's like, if you just want to have a hobby form, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. There's plenty of those around. And like I said, you could make, you know, several thousand dollars a year just selling just bundles. Just pay your taxes you selling 10 to $12 bundles. Yep. Yeah, you can do that. Um, but if you hit all the aspects, like the oils, you make your own products, they call it the multiplier. Like you can take, extract the oils from the plants, which I have a, uh, it goes through a steaming process and a steam distiller and you, it's the cleanest way to extract the oils and you get those oils and I'm bringing it inside of my wife and then she makes these beautiful products. But they call it a multiplier. If you take that oil and put it in the products, you can make even more money because the oil is so strong, it goes a long way. Uh, and then you have the agro-tourism side. So if you want to have weddings, you want to have yoga in your field, uh, you have photography events, uh, you can have like lavender days where people come out and pick their own bundles. I mean, there's so many aspects that you can, you know, so many routes you can go with that. We've had companies contact that they want to do uh, lavender oils with their CBD oils to make them smell good. Uh, we've had some... Uh, medical companies, some wellness centers asking about our products to sell at their places as well, too. Um, I think mean, there's just so many things you can do with it. Yeah. I mean, just how, how big do you want to go? You know, what's your vision? You know, what do you want to do? It's, you know, it's all on you. So, Well, when I've been uh, planning my, you know, next level, I guess my last career, I've had like seven. And now a lavender farmer seems to be slowly shaping up. And I'm to the point where I actually have a list. I created a, I'm creating a business plan, as I said, and it's not ex super extensive, but I'm about to buy right. my first 400 plants. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, it, it's, it seems like such a, at first when I started to look at this, I'm like, okay, th there's, there's like 480, I think products that they make from this, but it all came down to the oil. It seems like the oil. Yeah. Right. And then, and you could make it as complicated as you want. So if you go on, you know, two Marines here, right? Two a Navy Corps <laughs> Marine and a Marine. And we're going to create, I mean, go look at like lavender farms and look it up. It's very, I don't know, for lack of a better term, it's very feminine. And, and mm -hmm. I was like, really? I don't, do I want to like create soaps and lotions and stuff? But <laughs> I, I, so I'm actually struggling a little bit with that, but for the guys that are listening, they're thinking, all right, well, if I could make 10,000 bucks on the low end per year, per uh, acre, and just pay my taxes, that kind of like gets my wife off my back, you know, for having this property that's just for hunting or whatever. And I and I know right. a lot of guys get that, but so you could, so let, let's keep it very simple. Like you go yeah. out and you want to, you want to take an acre of your land and you want to convert mm -hmm. it to a field of lavender. Can you yeah. talk to us from the point of breaking ground to the first harvest when you cut a bundle? Well, uh, one, you're first going to determine if you're, are you going to do it for commercial? Are you going to do it for like people to come visit? We're probably not commercial you on that rose. size, right? Right, right. Not, not, not commercial. I mean, people can put the rows real tight, you know, saying if you want to try to get as much as you want out as possible. But I don't like doing that because then people can't walk in between the rows and they're usually walking on landscape fabric so they're not close. You want know, people to be able to enjoy the experience, you know, walk in between it, pick what they want. But usually I'll get on the tractor. You don't need a giant tractor, you know, compact tractor with a tiller. Till up the field, you know, and I would hit it several times because you got to get some real uh, ton of loose dirt. And this is what I do. And I have an implement that goes on the back of the tractor after I till it that it's a... Uh, Fabric layer, I believe is what they call oh, it. You do There's have different. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And mine also has the irrigation roll on it too. So basically this implement, when I go through the tilled field, it has like a wedge on the bottom of this. So it pulls the dirt in together to raise the bed. So you get a raised bed in there and it lays 
the landscape fabric over top of the raised bed while it's laying irrigation tape under the paper. So it does multiple things at once. And you do multiple rows doing this, laying that. Uh, some people use irrigation, some people don't. Uh, lavender doesn't like a lot of water, but in the beginning, first 30 days, you got to uh, give them some, or if you go into droughts like we've had. Hey, just for, just so let me interject this. I just looked it up. So it's called a sure. crown bed mulch layer. And I found, okay. I found one on irrigation mart and okay. it's what you're described as a three point hitch. And it's got, I don't know if it's got uh-huh. a tiller built into it, but a rack that you put the fabric on and then mm-hmm. it tills it and pulls the soil in and lays down the fabric. And then these two discs are trailing behind the fabric and it rolls dirt over the edge of the fabric. So you have a raised, yeah. a raised bed with the fabric secured. So if people, if people are looking into this, go look at irrigation mart. All right. Sorry. Yep. Yeah. There's several companies. Some come with the irrigation tape. Some are just the bed part. There's different uh, aspects how fancy you want to get. $2,713 yeah. for one of these things. Yeah. And it's like those discs that put the dirt over the edge of the paper. So you don't have to, I mean, it's either that or you're rolling out the landscape fabric by hand, which I've seen some people do, but then you're not getting the raised bed, which is you want the raised bed for the drainage for the roots from the lavender. So, um, so anyways, once you get the rows and the fabric and everything down, then you usually can use, which I've done both ways. I've used box every three feet. Uh, you cut a hole in the landscape fabric or you use a, like a propane torch to burn a hole for where your plants are going to go in. And since the ground's already broke up, you just come back in and, uh, if you're just doing an acre, I mean, I'd just be hand planting it. That's what I've done here, which is a lot of work. Um, and then weedings by hand, harvest is by hand with a handheld sickle. You know, a lot of it's by hand after you get done setting up the rows. Some people have some bigger, fancier implements. If you're on the uh, commercial side, they have tractors that'll come and fold the lavender plant and then cut it. But I mean, you're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment for that kind of stuff. Right. You'd have to have a lot of lavender down to justify that. So how? So talk about like volume. Like how many plants per acre can you generally get? Um, three foot rows. I mean, you're talking. And I think about that. I don't know. You probably get a thousand plants an acre. Probably you could. Yeah. And then the volume of pr- product that comes from a plant. Can you touch on that a little bit? Just to kind of put volume this into product. perspective. Well, and you know, I said some people hybridize their lavenders, and <laughs> you'll also know some people in the industry won't talk about certain things. Uh, but uh, some people use the hybrids because you just get ten, you know, tons of oil. Sometimes ten times as much oil out of hybrids than you do English ones, but you don't get the therapeutics. But that's why the commercial companies like the hybrids because you're eating a ton of smell good oil. Um, we have both hybrids and English, but we don't use, we only use the English for our oils, like I said, because of the therapeutics. But you're talking, I mean, for a milliliter, which is 20 drops of oil, you're probably going to take you, you know what, 25, 30 plants just for that little tiny amount. Mm. So uh, it takes a lot of plants to get a little bit of oil. Uh, the hybrids are great because they have bigger buds and longer stems, you know, for the bundles. They're amazing. They smell great. They're huge and more beautiful, but it depends on what you're doing with your farm. So, right. Uh, we have uh, one kind that we use for our oils. We have another kind we use for our cheese and food grade. And uh, then the hybrids we use just for uh, the bundles and people to pick their own. So, so you're doing a depends combination. Depends on what you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. So I know and, you're- And you have so many different colors too. People are just like, oh, purple lavender. Well, it's not just purple. You got blues, you got white. You got pink. There's all different kinds of lavender as well, too. Different shapes, different sizes. I know in my climate, so I'm in northern Wisconsin. I'm at 4A, right on the edge of 4B. And then in my home here uh, in Hudson, Wisconsin, if people want to look where I'm at, um, I'm in 4B, Mm -hmm. I believe. And I'm starting off with about three quarters of an acre is what I'm going to plant. And I use the Onyx Hunt app and I just sectioned off my, you know, use the tool and I picked this is where I'm going to put it. And then I went through there yesterday and I was using the tool and I was dropping a point, dragging the line, dropping a point, And that was, you know, 80 yards. And the next one was 80. And then my, I have kind of a trapezoid, I guess is the official geometry, but it's not quite a square, but so my lines got smaller, smaller. And I just kept adding it up using the Onyx hunt app, just like if I was scouting and I added up that right, I, got, right. I got about 1200 feet of beds so then I went on Amazon and I ordered, uh, or I am ordering, I'm about to order the fabric. And you told, you recommended DeWitt brand fabric, I think. Yeah. DeWitt Sunbelt fabric. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So I, uh, um, getting ready to order that. And I think I was like 400 bucks ish for the, the fabric. And then the plants, um, you had recommended a company. I forget the name of it. Do you want to throw that out there? 
Uh, you talk about the first time there was uh, Victor's Lavender out in Victor's, Washington State. Yep, maybe that's what it was. But they, and then I sent you that Morning Star one as well too, out of Missouri. Morning Star, that's where I was going to get it. So I figured, hey, I'm going to buy something a little bit closer to home for shipping reasons. I don't know if it makes a difference, but a tray, mm-hmm. a tray of 72 plugs. So these are very small plants. They don't come like in big, you know, half gallon mm-hmm. containers. They're small plugs. I think those were right around seventy-nine to eighty-two dollars, depending. And I'm I'm focusing in on four species that are all cold hardy, and every one of them I noticed, by the way, um, all say you know cold hardy to zone five. And I'm like, okay, well I'm screwed. But the more I, the more I read into this, and the more I talked to you, um, huh? you could grow it in a colder climate. So yeah, as you yes. get further north in Wisconsin, it's obviously cold. And the soils aren't optimal there, but the, but these plants don't need optimal soil. They're not looking for a loamy soil that holds moisture. They actually like dry, gravelly, sandy, even like poor quality. Yeah. Soils, Lavender right? thrives in crappy soil. Yeah. <laughs> if it, if it's too rich in nitrogen, you're going to get all plant, no blooms. Okay. Is that going to be a problem with your clover then? No, no. Cause I mean, the amount of nitrogen is putting in the ground. It was already, when I tested it because it, the field had been used for uh, corn and beans before the nitrogen was considered poor in the ground okay. so it actually needed some nitrogen and the clover you'll get just enough to keep everything okay yeah did you did you did you get a soil sample to, so you knew what this was yes yeah i took a soil sample all, right. all over the field so yeah and then we have a lot of sand in our field here as well too so which helps for drainage and it was already tiled right uh, for drainage as well too so well, I would yeah for, i'm pretty sure i think the last crop was corn here and i think they just sucked the nitrogen out of the ground when on that last crop before i got it so. my fields are kind of odd shaped and and i put corn in them once uh, since I've mm-hmm. owned my farm, but most of these were probably cattle um, paddocks, I guess, uh, at one point. But I found that like with the soil sampling and you're adding clover and you're adding miscanthus and switch, I mean, it sounds mm-hmm. like you're food plotting. I mean, you're kind of, you kind of are, you're food plotting and making <laughs> money from it. I, I was, you know, I was doing food plots prior to us building a house and doing the lavender as well, too. And we have family ground further south from here, too, that I do food plots as well, too. So I was like, clover, I mean, it stands up, you know, cool weather until it got this last cold. It was bright green in my fields. Yeah. So, you know, the deer were in heaven. They were out here every night. I'd count 20, 30 deer. Uh, you know, I've done soybeans before and I've done some corn and... Oh, sorghum and other things as well, too. But uh, clover just seems to work out well because of what we're doing here. So, yeah, no, that's, that's, that's awesome. So you'd mentioned about distilling. Go into for the listeners a little bit about the distilling process and the equipment that's needed to do that. Sure. Uh, you need like a steam distiller. So basically what you're doing, uh, you have two tanks. Uh, mine is a 200 liter and a 100 liter. So the 100 liter tank, basically you just fill it full of water and then you have like electric or propane heat on the tank, uh, which cranks up the boiling, uh, of the water, which is about 200, about 214 degrees at boiling point of water. So once it starts boiling, the steam will rise up that top of that tank up the pipe and it goes over to the other tank. The other tank is where you put your lavender stems and uh, buds in there. And that steam comes to the pipe and it starts filling that tank up full of steam. And once it gets up to about 150 degrees or so, uh, the plant starts releasing the oils into a vapor form. And the vapors go to the top of that tank, which will run a cold water line in, which will turn the vapors back uh, to liquid form. And then it'll start dripping out. You'll get a, a hydrosol and an oil. The hydrosol is a byproduct, basically. It's a flower water uh, that you're getting in the tank. And if you look in the jar, usually you'll have a lot of hydrosol and a little bit of oil. Water and oil don't mix. So you're going to see a little level of oil floating on top of all of that. Um, and then we take that and then put it in the separator to get the hydrosol separated from the oil. The hydrosol becomes... So the byproduct, which people use is like linen sprays, uh, and it goes into other products as well, too. And then you have the pure oils on the side, which also goes into other things where you saw it as is as well, too. Oh. What brand uh, distiller do you use? Uh, it's Olympic Distillers. Olympic? I was online. Yeah. They were out watch- of Washington State. Out of Washington, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was online looking at distillers. Actually, you sent me your photo, and I couldn't see what it was, but I found a company called Clawhammer Supply, and they've got their start because this distiller was the first thing I thought of. Are you making moonshine, or what, what are you doing here? Because <laughs> they look the same, right? I mean, it, you could literally Oh, make, they do, yeah. I've people ask me, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> eh, you could make bourbon if you get tired of making lavender, I guess. But Yeah, exactly. If it fails, go, you know, might as well drink yourself. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
So the claw hammer supply guys, I think they had their start with, you know, that type of alcohol distilling, but that's exactly what this distiller looked like. One add on mm-hmm. that they had, cause you talked about collectors in a jar, the claw hammer mm-hmm. supply guys had a, um, had a, I don't know, a flask, I guess for best, lack of a better term, it was like a cone and it yeah. looked like a big ice cream cone, basically. And all that, uh, that steam would come in there and then it would condense in the uh-huh. water and that's your hydrosol and, and it would collect it. And then as it cooled, that oil would float to the top, oil and water separate. And then they had a little pipette at the bottom and he would just open up that valve and collect the hydrosol and you'd see it come down, 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 down. And then right when he got to the yeah. oil, turn it off, change the jar out and then collect the oil. That's how they did it. Yeah, that's how I do it. It's a sep- I call it a separator, but it's not attached to my still. I just have to bring it inside and do that. Okay. Because the oil will be on top and you just open the valve at the bottom and you drain out the oil from the bottom. And then what's left in it is the, once you get down to the oil, then you put it in a different jar. Right. So if a guy was just doing a couple acres of this on his farm because he wanted to pay the taxes, what, is that what's a hundred milliliter still cost you? What's going to set you back? Uh, well, the it was the two. I got the two hundred liter tank and the hundred liter and the piping and all that, and I got the uh, electric two hundred amp heater with it. It was like thirty one hundred dollars. Yeah, it was. All right. Yeah, that makes sense. And that and and then you feel. I mean, you always want to go bigger, right? But is that for yeah, the size of operation yeah. you have? Is that good enough? I, I, well, actually, now it's like this after this last season, we got so much, uh, so many bundles. I'm like, I probably should have went bigger. Really? <laughs> really? You know, I was like, because I was constantly putting in uh, loads. I have these giant totes that I carry out when I'm harvesting these bundles. And uh, these the biggest totes you, you can imagine uh, that I'm dragging behind, that's like one tank. Full, and I did probably 30 some tankfuls of those wow. just bundled stems and blooms. And then you, you, you do get some people that <laughs> there's controversy too. Like I said, people disagree about uh, the steaming process. Some people want the buds only. They, you know, they don't want the stems, which in my opinion, there's just as much oil in the stems as there is in the blooms. You know, so but some people they're like, well, they don't want, they just want just that part, right? Which I think is kind of a waste. And then you got some people who say you should dry it before you do it, which I've done it both ways. I don't like the smell of the dried version as much as I do the fresh. So, But you'll get people that have different opinions either way to do hmm. it or not, too. I could see how drying might concentrate. Is that the idea? Yeah, they would. I I don't think the smell was as strong as fresh when I dried them uh, versus people who say, well, if it's fresh, you get that greeny, you know, that fresh plant smell in it too. I like that smell in it. Yeah. And you know, but some people don't, it, it's all about opinion, what people want. Well, it's like making whiskey, right? I mean, everybody does a little different, <laughs> and it, you know, ages it different and it gives you a little different yeah. flavor. That's the beauty of being a craftsman. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, oh, that's, yeah. well, that's awesome. You know, I, so you, I, because I wanted to test my concept, I ordered some from you and I got to tell you mm-hmm. my own experience. So I've been using that lavender oil and, uh, if people look up the lavender oil, you'll see all these benefits of like anti-inflammatory stress reduction, uh, sleep mm-hmm. enhancement. And those are like the three things that I've been kind of focusing on. And, uh, yeah. so I, I ordered some of your Earl gray, uh, tea with lavender in it. Mm-hmm. And I sent you yeah. a text on this cause, but I want to tell you that I, I verbalize this to you. So I, I made a cup of tea and, and I'm a pretty type A kind of guy. I mean, I've had people say you're like type A times 10. And I'm like, I don't see myself that way, <laughs> but all right, that's how, that's how they see me. So I, uh, I made a cup of hot water and I put your tea bag in it. And I only, I think you sent me one as a sample. I don't think I ordered. I think you sent me it, but, um, yeah, yeah. There was a sample. Like, yeah. So I sat there and I had a cup of tea and I had a fire going and I was watching football game. I was actually, I think I was watching the Packers and, um, drinking this tea. And I was about, I would say about nine tenths of the way through that first cup. And all of a sudden uh, it hit me. It was like, it was like, boom, it just like a wave came over me. I've, I literally felt it. And I texted you. I said, Holy cow, dude. <laughs> I don't know if this is like, again, is this a placebo effect or is this this tea? But I literally, <laughs> I'm pretty in tune to my health because of my background. I felt it. Yep. And I'm like, I feel a little flushed. I think what happened was I had a little vasodilation, which is good for relaxation. My, I felt a little yep. warmth in my face and mm-hmm. I felt, I felt it happen. And it was, yep. it was palpable. Like it hit me and I did felt, I felt calmer uh, after I drank that. But I don't know if I get that reaction every time. I suppose after a while, you might not have that effect. But I most definitely felt a a reaction of that dopamine, I guess is what it is, dopamine release, I think, Mm -hmm. 
caused that vasodilation yep. from that T. I mean, it was noticeable. Yep. It so, goes straight into the nervous system. So I, uh, I have some, you know, some bloating from certain things I eat sometimes and it helps with the inflammation. So we made some of that and I tried that and it helped with my stomach issues. But my wife always laughs at me because about within 30 minutes of drinking it, I usually fall asleep with the cup in my lap. Well, wow. you know, it's like it's nap time. It's game over. At that sure. Point, there so. isn't some hemp oil in there or something. You got some <laughs> mood gummies. I feel like I could arrange that, you know, by special request because I know some hemp on <laughs> Yeah, sure. You spoke a little wacky weed with it. Mm-hmm. Um, well then, so then I've been trying the oil as well. So I had no idea what I was getting, but I bought, I think you sent me a 25 ml little vial with a, with a dropper on the top. Oh, that was a five milliliter. That was five ml. All right. So I bought a five yeah. ml and how much did I pay for that? That was 25 bucks, that was right? 25. That's right. I got the 25. Okay. So I got yeah, a little- $10 for a one mil and 25 for a five mil. So the little five ml, if you hold a pen in your hand and, and you, it's about one quarter the size of the length of your pen, that's that's about five mls. Yeah. So I got that and I, I've been using that and I got a little jar of the little spritzer of hydrosol, which is the flower mm-hmm. water. It's just the water, but it's scented. So I've been, I've been, again, this sounds really feminine, but I've been putting this on my bed pillow at night and mm-hmm. I take that oil and I started put, I put a little drop on my wrist as you suggested. And I put some on my temples and yep. I got to tell you, dude, I, and I'm not, I'm not trying to exaggerate this, but I used to wake up three, four times a night. I had to pee because I'm like 60 years old or whatever. I'd wake up <laughs> multiple times a night. When I started doing this in the last week or so, 10 days, probably I've been doing it every night. I am sleeping like a rock. I mean, deep sleep. And I didn't, I don't wake up at all. And I'm having these really vivid dreams because I think I'm sleeping. My REM is, I'm getting into REM phase, like deep slumber. And it's amazing. I mean, the last couple of nights, I think I've been, I have been waking up a few times, but I am, when I am sleeping, it, it's, it's a hard sleep. Like I am deep into slumber. So I was really amazed at the sleep effects that I'm experiencing. Are you doing oh, yeah. that I, a lot? I do. I sleep a lot better now. And we have clients who buy the stuff who they're repeat buyers like every couple of weeks, really back to get more. And uh, we even have a, oh, there's a group of elderly women that come out here that have had arthritis. And uh, said they, some of them said they haven't slept good in years. They start taking the oil. And they said, this is the first good sleep I've been able to sleep in, you know, this many years. And then, so they just keep coming back and buying it. And, you know, it, it, it beats the alternative, you know, you know, yeah. these pills that people take or just instead of just suffering and just not being able to calm down. Even some of my military buddies, you know, they, when they, after all the stuff we've done, you know, everybody's doing something like, what are you doing? And then I tell them what I'm doing. And there's like always a giggle or a laugh. Yeah. They're like, yeah, okay, what are you really doing? I'm like, no, I'm serious. Right. <laughs> no. And they're like, what? And then sure enough, I've had plenty of them order stuff for me. And they're like, oh my, you know, they didn't realize. Right. And so yeah. they're believers now as well too. So. Well, I thought I was feminine, but I'm getting over. I'm, I'm like, hey, if Ryan Stark, who ran through hails of bullets, can grow lavender, then I can do it. So you're you're a couple of years into your farm, and I'm literally just starting my farm. And we're going to have to talk again about this because there's a whole other side of, I'm sure by now we've we've intrigued guys and there's a whole other side of, okay, you grow it, you plant it, you grow it. That's one thing, but then you got to sell uh-huh. it as well. Maybe yep. at some point we can have you back and we can talk about the business side of it because I think definitely there's a, there's something here to it. There's a need. Yep. It fills a niche that isn't being filled. Um, if France is going out of business, America is going to come on and we're going to take over. And you know what American ingenuity does to things? So, um, oh yeah, this could be good. So. I don't we've know had, uh, I say we've had plenty of, uh, you know, for being in a business as short as we have, it's taken off. We had the dot com page, and then we've had all the social media pages, and then we've had a couple of newspapers come out here and write articles, and we've had a couple of uh, uh, national magazines write some articles on our yeah. farm, and it's like it's such been such a warm welcome, you know. And you'd be surprised, like, yeah, not that many people would like that, or a lot of guys won't like that. But then as soon as you start taking off, it's like all this interest just starts piling in. It's like, oh, okay, well, well maybe I- there is some. With my sales and marketing background, I'm always like looking down the road, you know, 10 steps down the road. But um, I think the the uniqueness of it is uh, you're, you know, you are a Marine and that veteran aspect is pretty cool. But 
Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I think I'm going to focus in a lot on the medicinal therapeutic effects. So I'm going to be growing English lavender mainly. And I think that's yeah. my strength. But I mean, for the guys that are listening to this, I think they, hey, I'm going to try this and, you know, a half acre of my land, just grow the plants. Yeah. It takes two, three years to get an, a bundle. I got, I got, like I said, I got two bundles from my plants last year. I planted the phenomenal brand um, or species. And it's called uh-huh. phenomenal. And, um, I got two bundles, right. But you know, you could just simply is a great lavender plant. Oh, yeah. yeah. So you could just cut bundles, tie them up, take it to a local farm, you know, stand on the weekend where farmers farm. market vendors. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you could literally just do that. And I think if, if you kept it simple, like anything, you just get better at it and you grow. So you got to jump in with two feet. But if you only, for me, I'm keeping it simple. If I could just, get the plants growing and pay off my taxes and break mm-hmm. even. I think that's well, worthwhile. Like we, we, we've discussed in the past, it's like if you live, you know, because I live in the middle of nowhere out here, but if you take something like that, the bundles or products, and you go to a bigger city where they never see something like that, people seem to be in awe, like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And, no, you know, they usually pay a premium for something like that because it's not every day you see something like that. Well, I started doing my business plan. I looked around at the farms that were selling it, and there's one in mm-hmm. – Farmington, Minnesota, which is a good hour from me. And there's another one in Stockholm, Wisconsin, again, another hour. And I just don't know anybody around here that's doing it. And mm-hmm. so that was an opportunity. And then I started personally just going around in my daily business. I'd I just like keep my eyes peeled for areas. There's all these boutique shops and there's bakers and there's even distillers. There are a lot of distillers in the St. Croix River Valley. And I started going to them going, Hey, do you ever distill with lavender? And one guy just told me, yeah, we tried to do it in our, our Firk, Firkshire or something. There's a brand of beer, Firk something, I think. But um, yeah. he says, yeah, it was a terrible, it didn't work at all. But he goes, I'm not saying <laughs> that it wouldn't be useful, but it for that brew, it came out, it came out terrible. But we got 45th Parallel and they do uh, vodkas. And I would think lavender infused vodkas and gins would probably be something. Um, yep. There are, there's a candle maker in town here. Uh, I'll give them a free plug called Somersets from Somerset, Wisconsin. Check them out. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a local little candle maker and I'm, I'll guarantee you they're going to want oil. And I would just think the whole local, you know, support the local vendors type things is going to be a possibility. Oh, yeah. Uh, one of my guys that on the past episode um, that I, he's got a little f- uh, farm grocery store and I'm like, Hey, if I grew lavender, would you, would you sell lavender bundles or oils? And he's like, yeah, yeah, we got about 25 vendors. And so I think just reaching out and finding these non-traditional places to sell again, you know, the more you process it, meaning break it down from the raw plant down to oils, down to sachets and teas and lotions and oils and a million products. I don't know how many products there's come from this. Oh, then it, I mean, there's so many, I mean, and then people sell them as buds, yeah. basically like you use rosemary and sage, you can use lavender buds the same way as an ingredient, you know, culinary brands. Yeah. So yeah, there, there's a push for it. It's a growing uh, business here and there's like a big community that likes to talk. Some people give you the secrets of how they do certain things and make certain products others won't. You right. Know? Yeah. <laughs> they held them close to their chest, you know, about how great their stuff is and they won't tell anybody else, but, right. which is understandable, but. Well, I'm but, a, you know, I, I mean, I, even just, just being in the field itself, I'm like, is rewarding and relaxing in itself. Just the doing the harvesting and the planting and smelling all that while you're in the field and just being in nature in general. I mean, I, Man, I get, I get that from my food plots. I mean, I just, people, oh, yeah. my, I have a brother-in-law in California who grew up on a farm. He goes, I don't, dude, I don't get it. Like, what is the attraction? I said, Man, when I'm out on that tractor and I'm looking at the flowers and the butterflies and the smells, I literally, I mm-hmm. just, I mean, it's electric to me. I mean, it's, oh yeah. my wife will see me in the woods and, and we're walking around our farm and she's literally looked at me and she goes, holy cow, will you just like hug a tree? You look like you're going to cry or something. I'm like, I know there's <laughs> something, uh, something about being out here. And like, I love to grab some soil and smell it. And I just... You know, I'm into like yep. re- regenerative agriculture and like not using sprays and fertilizers. Yep, and, same here. Right. And so, yeah, but I also, I'm, use I'm a capitalist. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. So you got to make some money, you know, to pay the bills and stuff. But, you know, if this pays for that, you know, and you're enjoying it, then I mean, I don't know what else more you want. Right. And you can shoot, we some, had, uh, shoot some deer off your farm. I mean, oh, yes, yes. We process our own deer and stuff, and we eat deer year round around here. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to probably pop a couple of these pheasants. They, uh, I mean, some of the farmers have so commercially, you know, farmed that they, 
pheasants and uh, quail lost all their habitat. So it's like me in the center of these guys. It's like I have, you know, I can walk out and see a dozen pheasants or, you know, a couple of cubby of quail or whatever. And it's just like, that's kind of cool to me. It's like, so I know I can hunt it anytime I want, but yeah. it, it's just neat. It's like, it's, you know, they're thriving. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, Ryan, I've kept you. I've kept you on here for over an hour now, and um, oh well, thank you for having me on. Yeah, man. So I truly appreciate uh, the friendship that we're developing by texting each other. And I know oh, yes. I know you're not a phone guy, so I probably won't bother you a whole lot on the phone. But I, I hope to meet <laughs> oh, you someday. <laughs> I hope to meet yeah, you, you have someday. To come out when everything's in bloom. You should come on out here. It's uh, it's a quite a sight. I think I'm going to take like a lavender weekend. I asked my wife if she would uh, go on a trip because there's in Wisconsin, I think there's maybe five or six lavender farms. A lot of them are over in Door County. There's one down mm-hmm. in Baraboo, Wisconsin, and there's one in Stockholm, Wisconsin. So I think I'll drop to Stockholm. I'm going to do a weekend. I'm going to, I'd love to buy a Harley. I'm actually trying to convince her that's a good idea, but I haven't got there, <laughs> but uh, I'd love to take at least a road trip and do, do that and maybe get down to you and then circle mm-hmm. back and see family and head home. So, um, that'd be a great trip. Don't be surprised. Be a beautiful if, ride. Yeah. If we do the lavender trip. So, well, why don't you go ahead and, uh, give your sites and contact information. I don't know if you want to throw out a number or not, if people want to order from you, how do they do it? So go ahead and give out whatever credits you want to give. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, well, you can find us on Facebook, Stark Lavender Fields LLC. Uh, we're also on Instagram and TikTok as well too. And on the YouTube channel, uh, we have an online store. It's starklavender.com. Uh, you can see most of our products, not all of them. Uh, some of them you have to actually be around this area because we do have do special orders for people as well, too. Um, that's about it, really. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, my cool. friend. Uh, thank you for your service. I appreciate the mentorship, and um, I'm hopeful that maybe some of your knowledge can pollinate my own desire up here, and I'll get my own farm going, and we'll we'll, we'll flip business back and forth. We'll cross-pollinate each oh, other. Oh, of course. You'll fall in love with it, you know. One of these days, you'll be like, man, I'm glad I did that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just got to put in the credit card and order the first plants. That's I'm up to that. Yeah. And then I'm committed, so... Uh- Oh, trust me, you. I, I, I don't think you regret it at all. You'll, you'll be super happy. All right, awesome. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate it, brother coming on, and uh, yep. thanks for being on the show. All right, well, thank you for having me. All right, buddy.